But we find ourselves in this holiday season again, and I want to wish all of you the very, very best. The gift has become an annual opportunity for us to give back to God during the Christmas season. Our fellowship family has developed a culture of generosity, believing that through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to God, our resources can be used to make a difference locally, regionally, and globally. Last year, the people of fellowship gave over $560,000 to the gift which was prayerfully distributed by the elders to many worthy causes around the world. This year, we will again review the many requests made, but will also consider reducing the current debt with Fellowship Bentonville. Throughout the month of December, we are asking that you please prayerfully consider donating to the gift again. It's between you and God. We will make special envelopes available, or you can visit the giving page on our website fellowshipnwa.org forward slash the gift. Thank you for your participation in the past and the difference you've made in the lives of so many through your generosity. Let's never forget how good God has been to us. How y'all doing? Y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, that sounded a little sleepy. That sound a little sleepy. Hey, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm up here because we're, we're talking about the gift, and I love this time of year. And in case you don't know what uh, the gift is, it's the end of the year uh, donation that we take up, and most of the gift we give out, um, not towards our body, but, but towards other ministries and to things globally around the world. And you might be asking yourself, what do we do? What do we invest in? Is there any fruit? And I just wanted to share with y'all a picture uh, of something that we received just a couple of weeks ago from one of our global workers. Uh, we can't tell you the exact location of where this happened, but it is somewhere in West, Western Africa. And for years, our global workers have been going to a refugee camp and working with not just an unreached people, but an unengaged. That means that nobody else is really engaging them, as far as we know, with the gospel, and they walk through just Bible story after story, over 50 different stories of the Bible leading up to Christ, and what they saw was a whole family household come to know the Lord, and they insisted to be baptized. Over and over again, they pushed, we wanna be baptized, we wanna be baptized, we wanna be baptized, and so this is a picture celebrating their labor of this family being baptized together. So as you invest and as you give and as you are generous, please know that those, those are being invested into things across the globe. And because of your generosity, a people group, an unreached people group, that there's no church, we saw these people come to know the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? Thank you so much for your generosity. Hey, something else uh, really exciting is happening tonight. We are doing something that we've never done before. A group of churches have come together to pull together a special family Advent service. So it's gonna be right here um, at six o'clock. 
And over four, I think it's around four different churches are coming to, to pull together. So we're not just inviting different churches. The churches have come together to plan and to put together uh, this special service. So you're invited uh, to come tonight with your family and have a special Advent uh, worship service. Just a second ago, I was talking about uh, unreached people groups and people never hearing the gospel, the gospel, we, us uh, taking the gospel to them and them hearing the stories and them receiving Christ. But also, uh, what's pretty unique about the place that, that we live is that unreached people groups are coming to us and we have an opportunity to, to minister to them. And I wanna introduce you to one of my good, good friends. Her name is Masako. Masako, would you come out? And Masako is an uh, international student at the University of Arkansas. How many years have you been here studying? Um, over the past four years. Past four years? Yes. Yeah. And so Masako is going to share a little bit about her story. Yes. Well, as he said, I'm an international student at the University of Arkansas, and I'm from Japan. Japan is considered as an unreached country with only less than 2% of Christians living there. Before I came here, I, I thought I've never met Christian. I didn't really know what to expect. But when I came here, I met my best friend, Sarah Turley, through a program called iFriend. And she introduced me to this community and all the other friends and all the Christians that I met was just kind, caring, welcoming, just all the great people that I have never really met or imagined to meet. So. I started open, opening up my heart and started believing in Jesus and that he just gave me a really big hope that I couldn't imagine having when I was just staying in Japan. So I'm very thankful for this opportunity to share this story with you guys today. Oh. Masako, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's just been so awesome just to see Masako not just be become a believer, but see her grow in her faith uh, as well. And so, Masako, would you honor us by lighting our very first Advent candle, the candle of hope? Yes. All right. Masako, I didn't really prepare you for this, but our body is always blessed when we have somebody from another country either come and worship in their own language or read scripture in their language. Would you begin this service by just praying for us in Japanese? Yes. Yes. また私が今日こうやってこのサービスで話し、そして私のストーリーを伝える機会を与えてくださったこと、本当に感謝しています。これからこのシーズンが私たちの心をより成長させ、また私たちがよりあなたの望む私たちの姿に近づいていけるように、
um, here, Fellowship Fayetteville. Well, good morning. Um, welcome. As, uh, as Brian said, we're beginning our Advent series this morning, and if you're new with us or have never um, been in a church or didn't grow up in a church where you celebrated Advent, Advent literally just means the coming. And so we take the next five weeks, and, and this year what we're going to do is journey through the book of Luke, the journey to the, to the manger. And we're going to look at five different stories or different accounts of um, looking forward to, to the coming of Jesus. And we as believers, we have hope in a second coming. And what's different about Christianity than any other, any other religion in the world is that in every other religion, the deity says, earn your way up to me. You must do these things to please me. It is only Christianity where that deity says, I'm going to empty myself and I'm going to become a human to human limitations in order to save my people, to save my followers, responding to their sin with pursuit. I'm going to pursue them and come after them. And so each week we're going to light a candle to remind us of a, of a different, um, something else that we have because of Christ. And this morning it's, it's hope. And so this first song that we sing um, is, is a song about looking to Jesus who came and we have hope because of him. And so it's going to be a newer song. I want to encourage you this morning and these next couple weeks as we sing Christmas songs. I know a lot of them have traditions behind them. Pay attention to the lyrics that we're singing. They're deep. They have a lot of meaning. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you don't know this first song, to listen to the words, reflect on them, think about them. I think John chapter 1 sums up Advent super well for us this morning. It says this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Emmanuel, God with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth.
Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's stand together and sing this familiar song. I love the lyrics of verse two in this song. It calls for unity as a body of Christ. And so I want you to pay attention when we sing those. Let's sing this together. Oh, holy night. 
Oh, Father, your gospel is love and your gospel is peace. Well, thank you for unifying us in the blood of Christ. Lord, this Advent season, would you be the center of it all? Lord, as we teach and as we sing and as we light these candles, Lord, it's all about you. Always has been and always will be. Thank you for that truth. Would you teach us from your word this morning that we would leave here differently? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. How are we? All right, I want a little, uh, little interaction here as we begin. It'll be a little, little bit different. Um, we had our normal Thanksgiving traditions for some of us this week. The Lions lost, the Cowboys figured out a way to lose as normal on Thanksgiving week. But here's what I want you to do. If you wouldn't mind, turn to the person next to you. If you don't know the person next to you, introduce yourself. If you have no one sitting around you, just think about the answer to this question. I want you to answer this question very simply. What is your favorite Thanksgiving dessert? Discuss. Of all the options, your favorite. If you only had one at Thanksgiving, what would you choose? You only got to pick one. Some of you aren't discussing. I'm disappointed in that. All right. Let's get a little interaction here. I want to hear from you. Um, if so, I want to know from just. I want to know who I'm talking to this morning. If you, raise your hand or make some noise, if you're a pumpkin pie person, raise your hand. Not a lot of excitement for the pumpkin pie, a little muted woo there. What about my, my apple pie people in the room? Okay, what, what about uh, that strange like cheesecakey thing with like some kind of fruit, like cherry or strawberry? Anybody want that thing? Just a few people want that. Any chocolate fans in the room? More than I would have guessed, we rarely have chocolate. Let me give you, here's the correct answer. All right, so the right answer, let me hear it for my pecan pie people in the room. I had six slices of pie on Thanksgiving Day, all right, just in one day. I started early, had my first piece at 9.30. I, still, I just brushed my teeth, okay? Um, it's, it's the right answer. What am I missing? Am I missing anything else? Oh, yeah, have a coconut cream? I just, you guys like that. anything else? All right, nobody wants to shout it out now. Anything weird? Anything that I'm missing? Okay, you don't want to yell that one for sure. Uh, so, sweet potato pie, sweet potato casserole. It is good. My mom makes it with five sticks of butter in one casserole, and I could pound through some of that. Uh, my name's Garland. Uh, welcome to our Christmas Advent season. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, I'm excited after last year and kind of everything has been weird with COVID just to get to celebrate Christmas uh, together as a church family this year. Like we said earlier, Advent just simply means coming, the arrival of the King. And uh, as we launch into Advent season, it's going to be necessary for us. We have to do this. We have to, we have to get ourselves in the mood. We have to put ourselves in the scene of those waiting and hoping for the arrival of that king. We've got to get ourselves in the right frame of mind for the Advent season. Here's how we do that. We have to imagine, so imagine with me. We have to imagine a, a world, imagine a people who are languishing in exile and pain. They find themselves under the, the ruthless hand of foreign oppressors, trying desperately to love their God, even though it seems like their God had left them. 
It seems that their God might as well be a million miles away. They look out into the world and it seems as if the, 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 the bad people are winning and the good people are losing, that justice is going undone in the land. And they look out into their world and they're desperate and they're hoping and they look out and they experience a world of darkness and pain. By the way, you ever thought of why we put lights on our houses and we bring lights into our houses in the form of candles or little lights? It's because we're reminding ourselves that the people of Israel found themselves in darkness, waiting for light to dawn on them. By the way, that, the situation I just described, that's, that's the plight of the ancient Israelite. That's the plight, by the way, of many people in our world still to this day. And what we're going to see as we celebrate the advent of the coming king is that the hope of the world then is the very hope of the world now. It's the message of Christmas that we, our world desperately needs then and now. And into that darkness, into that pain, into that languishing under the, the oppressive yoke of foreign invaders, we're going to see an angel visits. And what we're going to do, as Dave said during this season, we're just going to work through the Gospel of Luke looking at different characters. And as we see this visitation of the angel, hope is going to burst onto the scene. We lit the hope candle this morning. Here's our, here's our outlines. We're going to work through this this morning. First, we're going to see hope breaks through the darkness in this message to the angel. We're going to see that hope oftentimes, then and now, is hard to understand. Sometimes really difficult to perceive. And lastly, that this hope, it flips everything on its head. It turns everything upside down. Hope breaks through the darkness. It's often hard to understand. And lastly, we're going to see it turns everything upside down. If you got your Bibles, open them with me to Luke chapter 1 or use your phone. Let's get our eyes on the page this morning. Luke chapter 1. Here's where we pick up the story in verse 26. Luke 1 26. Here we go. We're told this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we'll get more on her in the coming weeks, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, hard stop. Time out. I recognize that for most of us, I'm guessing, we are so familiar with the Christmas story that we read a line like this and things just go right over our heads. Like, we're so used to angels, for example. Like, we put them on our houses. We put them on our little nativity sets. There's always angels in the Christmas store. But this is strange, what's taking place here. Have you ever, you ever noticed when you watch, especially like crime movies or TV shows or thriller movies and TV shows, oftentimes early on in the movie or early on in the show, like Law & Order has made a 30-year career out of this. Early on in the episode... Almost always like a character introduced, and they'll say like one random line, or they'll do this one random thing, and if you're perceptive, then you'll know that that's going to be important later on in the story. And if you aren't perceptive, then later on in the story, you're like, how, how could we have known that was going to happen? Well, then you rewatch the episode, or you rewatch re the movie, you know, that line or that character, it tipped the hand of the writer, and if we'd just been perceptive, we would have seen it. Now, I think that's what, that's what happens to us when we turn to our, our, our Gospel of Luke. You see, we have an angel showing up on the scene, but not just an angel. We have a named angel. The angel named Gabriel shows up on the scene, and we're so familiar with this, we, it just goes right over our heads. You see, Gabriel, this is a very strange character being introduced to the story. We've seen him before in the biblical story, but very infrequently. And the alert, 
the perceptive Bible reader, their antenna would go up to seeing Gabriel show up. Now, time out. We have to have a little bit of a nerd moment. You want to go nerdy for just a moment. We've got to go Old Testament nerdy for just a second. Now, we could go, we could spill outside the bounds of our of our Bible, our biblical books, and when we look at Second Temple literature, the literature of Jews of Jesus' day, they were obsessed with named angels. If you want to come talk to me about that, let's go nerd out and get coffee. But we get Gabriel mentioned two times in our biblical story, and they're literally on back-to-back pages. You don't have to turn there, but Gabriel showing up on the scene should alert you, the perceptive reader, to something that's coming. The two pages where Gabriel shows up, they're on back-to-back pages. They show up in the book of Daniel. Now, my bet is, for most of you in the room, if I said, tell me something about Daniel, the book of Daniel, what's going to come to mind are two stories, because you read them to your kids, or you read them as a kid. The lion, Daniel the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. If I said, what's Daniel about? It's about those two stories. And you might have even got them delivered to you in a strange manner, with talking vegetables, That might have been how you received this story. Now, I understand that's how most of us, we look at the Old Testament and we read them through these one-off stories only through talking vegetables. But let's do a little better than that, okay? What's going on in the book of Daniel? It's not just those two stories, and it doesn't have any talking vegetables. So what's going on in the book of Daniel? Well, Daniel's 12 chapters. It's exile literature written to the nation of Israel as they find themselves languishing in darkness with foreign oppressors over them. And the the story of Daniel is instructing that people to be faithful to their God. And if they'll be faithful to their God, he'll bring the answer to their pain. He'll bring the king. He'll bring the the long-awaited king that will restore everything to right in the land. Sounds like the Christmas story, right? It's what Daniel is all about. And in the book of Daniel, this is the only other occurrence of this figure, this strange figure, Gabriel, in the Old Testament. They're on back-to-back pages. One of them is in Daniel chapter 8. Now, in Daniel 8, it's strange. You get a vision of a ram and a goat. It's exciting reading for your quiet time when you read through the Bible in a year. A ram and a goat. And as you read it, you're like, what's going on here in Daniel chapter 8? Well, the good thing about the Bible is oftentimes it will explain the strange imagery, and that's exactly what happens here. Daniel has a vision of a ram and a goat, and look who shows up on the scene. Gabriel, the angel, is sent to explain the vision of this ram and a goat in Daniel chapter 8. You know what the explanation is? It's kind of cool for those history nerds in the room. Daniel chapter 8, the ram and the goat, Gabriel explains to him is about the geopolitical events that will surround, surround Alexander the Great's conquest of the known world and what happens to his kingdom afterwards. So it's talking about real events that happened in the 300s B.C., the ram and the goat, pretty cool. Now, but the very next page, Daniel chapter 9, is our second mention of Gabriel in your Old Testament. What's going on in Daniel chapter 9? Daniel is praying on behalf of his people, and he's praying, saying, God, we're in exile because we sinned. We messed up. It's why we're out here in exile. It's why we're going through this darkness in this pain. And look at what happens, Daniel 9. Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people Israel and making my request to the Lord for his holy hill, while I was in prayer. By the way, this has never happened in my quiet time. This has never happened when I'm in prayer. Daniel says, while I'm praying, Gabriel, the man from one page earlier I had seen in the earlier vision, came in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. 
And guess what? Gabriel has a message. Every time we see Gabriel in the Bible, he's got a message. And it's a message about kings and kingdoms. Look at the message in Daniel 9. He instructed me and said, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out which I have come to tell you. Notice it, for you're highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. He wants this to make sense to Daniel, and I want it to make sense to you. When Gabriel shows up, he has an announcement. He always has a message, and it's about kings and kingdoms. What is the message here? Look at it. He says 70 sevens, probably seven-year periods here. If you want to talk about it, come find me. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. I got a timeline for you, Daniel. And look at the end of this timeline. There's going to be some really amazing, cool things. Look at the list. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Wow! To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Just a couple of verses later, Gabriel says, the Mashiach, it's the Hebrew word for the Messiah, he's coming. Whatever we want to say about Daniel chapter 9 and Gabriel's message, it is an announcement that the dark night of the exile, it has an end date when the Messiah will come. Gabriel's message to Daniel is a message about kings and kingdoms, and in this case, the Messiah the anointed one, he's coming. And when he comes, some amazing things are gonna take place. It's this ancient whisper tucked away in your Old Testament. Generations go by, waiting, longing, and looking for the answer, the fulfillment of Gabriel's words here. And we don't get Gabriel showing back up until we turn to the New Testament, until we turn to Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that same messenger is on the scene. Generations of waiting. God, where are you? What kind of timetable are you on? And by the way, that may be some of you in the room. Maybe this morning you feel that that languishing and waiting. Just let Tim Keller talk to you just for a moment. He says this. He says, "You you cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly or even to be forgetting his promises, but when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you imagined. Generations of waiting, this ancient whisper, and how do they spill over the banks at the advent of Jesus? Well, look at the Look at the angel's announcement. Look at what he says. Mary, don't be afraid. You're highly favored. Same thing that was said to, uh, to Daniel. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. What are some of the characteristics that this son will take on? He'll be great. He'll be in unique relationship with the Father. That's what it means to be called the Son of the Most High. He'll be in special relationship with the Most High God. The Lord God will give him, notice it, throne. The king is here. The throne of, not just any throne, but it's the throne of his father, David, the promised king of Israel who will bring peace and justice and hope to the land. And it's a kingdom that's never going to end. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will not end. What is his name? The angel says, he says, call him Yeshua. 
the same name for Joshua, by the way. It's a, it's a common name in Israel in this day, Yeshua. You know what it means? It means Yahweh delivers. Waiting in darkness. Here comes Yeshua. Yahweh delivers. He'll be holy, be called the Son of God. This is Messiah language. This is King language. This is Caesar language. Here comes the long-anticipated hope. Generations of waiting, generations of darkness and hope breaking through. But notice in our text that hope is often hard to understand. It's familiar, so look at it. I know we're, we're so familiar with these Christmas stories. Look at verse 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings. Angel shows up, greetings. You highly favored. The Lord is with you. I get it. We see these stories all the time. And I hear my skeptical friends, maybe some of you are in the room. I hear my skeptical friends say things like this all the time. Well, of course, you know, in the ancient world, they believed in such things. Like they were, they were gullible. They didn't have the knowledge that we have now. They were stupid. They couldn't reason things out. Of course, they think angels show up, and of course they think resurrections happen and miracles happen, but they're gullible. Not us, not us modern people. Now, I understand that objection. If you're here and you've thought that objection, I understand that. And it is true, we have different worldviews, an ancient person and a modern person. But can I just speak to you for a moment? Maybe I'm only speaking to a handful of you in the room. That kind of a comment, that kind of an objection, they were so stupid back then. It reeks of what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery, historical snobbery. It drips with an arrogance that assumes that the modern 21st century American culture is the epitome of all wisdom and knowledge, that we've got it figured out. Now, can, let me just challenge it for a moment. Do you realize that they built buildings that still stand and we built strip malls? All right, are you with me? Have you ever been to the Pantheon? If you walk in there, you go, how did they do this? No cranes, no computers. By the way, most of our modern philosophy and logic and mathematics and reason and even political government systems, they were thinking of it back then and writing it down. You know the Pythagorean theorem? It was created by a guy, discovered by a guy named Pythagoras. He was a real dude and he lived 500 years before Jesus. They're not stupid. They're not gullible. They're not just, you know, simple and dumb. You're going to have to do better than that with your objection. And if you've got the questions, I, I, I hear that. But you're going to have to do a little better than that. The second reason, they're not stupid, but the second reason you have to do better than that is, it's not what the text says. Look at the text. Angel shows up. Greetings, you who are highly favored. And notice... Mary doesn't respond with like, what's up, Gabriel? Yeah, man, good to see you. I'm used to this. Angels, no. Look at her response. She has the exact response that you and I would have. The text says, Mary was greatly troubled. Now, it's the, it's the Greek word diaterasso. Terasso is the word for to like struggle, to be confused. And dia means to go through confusion. She was struggling with this greeting. 
The second verb, this is weak that the, NIV is doing, that the NIV is doing here. They're being almost too nice. Mary was through struggling at his words, and it wondered is too weak. It's literally dia legitsamai. Legitsamai, the root of that is logic. She, through reasoning and logic, she began to wrestle with this. She's reasoning it out. She has the exact same response you and I would have. Like if one of my friends came to me and said, I was praying last night. Gabriel showed up. I'd be like, are you okay? Are you all right? Mary does the same thing. She's struggling at the words. What could this mean? How could this be? Look at the announcement of the angel. She's, she's told she's going to have a son. And look at her response. How? She literally says, I have never known a man. I've not slept with anybody. You know what they know in the ancient world? They know how you get pregnant, all right? They're not idiots. They know that somebody claiming to be a virgin who shows up pregnant ain't a virgin anymore, okay? They know this. She says, how could this be? She has the same response you and I would have to this announcement. Now, what's interesting is, notice Mary's words here. How will this be? This can't be. I'm a virgin. Are very, very similar to another character in the words that he expresses at yet another announcement. Just a few verses earlier in our story. No longer is it a a teenage, unwed, soon-to-be mom, but it's an old, wise, learned priest, and he's in the temple of all places. And he gets a surprising birth announcement. Look at his response. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. Almost the same language that Mary uses. But in the story, Zechariah will be rebuked. He'll go, he'll go nine months without speaking. He'll be mute. He'll be rebuked. The wise old man, priest, rebuked. And the teenage, unwed, scandalized girl is commended as the story unfolds. What is the difference in the two? I think it's this last line of Mary that we see in verse 38. Look at how Mary concludes this. She's wrestling with it. She struggles with the, with the words that the angel says. She's logicking it out. But in the end, look at her response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. And the Lord's servant, and might your word to me be fulfilled. She's she doesn't get it. She's still got questions. She's still got doubts. She's struggling with this announcement. But Lord, in your timing, in your goodness, I'm your servant. And might your word to me be fulfilled. Now, notice it. We, we glaze right over these stories. When she says this, put yourself in her shoes. What she is saying is, Lord, May your word be fulfilled to me, even though it certainly means Joseph's gonna leave me. Everybody's gonna think that I cheated on him. I'll be scandalized. I'll probably be ostracized from my community. They're gonna look at me with scorn, which probably then destines me to never being married, forever being poor, going through a life of pain. Oh, and by the way, everybody's gonna look at my kid and think, illegitimate kid born out of wedlock. Lord, I'm your servant May it be to me as you say. What an amazing trust from a 
16, 17-year-old teenage girl. Hope breaks through the darkness. It's often really hard to understand. And then lastly, it turns everything on its head. Notice this story. This is how Luke begins the gospel announcement of Jesus the Savior. We got a scandalized teenage unwed girl. By the way, notice where it says, the, the angel Gabriel went to Nazareth. Nazareth is like a nowhere little backwater village. Later on in the gospel account, somebody, one of the, the disciples of Jesus would say, can anything good come from there? It's like the West Virginia of the ancient world. Like nothing good comes from there. And if you're from West Virginia, I'm sorry, nobody likes your state. You just need to get over it. Um, so can anything good come from there? Galilee was a, a region of ancient Israel that had largely had a Greco-Roman influence that people down in Jerusalem thought they're compromised up there. What's going on up there? We've got a teenage unwed mom from Nowhereville, the compromised region. Nothing good can come there. Scandalized story. This can't be. This can't be how the king the rescue, the answer, the Yeshua is going to come into the world. This can't be the king unless the nature of his kingship, the nature of this king and his kingdom is unlike any other we've ever seen. Unless it's radically different than every other claim of king and kingship the world has ever seen. It's exactly what we see as the story unfolds. We're going to cover Mary's song next week, but she breaks out in the song later in the story, and notice what she says. It's everything's upside down. He's, God is scattering the proud with this king. He's bringing down the rulers from their thrones, but lifting up the humble, the rich. Kings of the world always go for the rich. No, no, no. He sends them away empty, and the hungry he fills with good things. Later on, Jesus will announce, blessed are you who are not rich, not connected, not beautiful, no, no, no. Blessed are you who are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. When you hunger now, you'll be satisfied. Weeping now, you will laugh. Notice verse 22, when people hate you and exclude you and insult you and reject you. Blessing. Everything is upside down. Later on, this same king with this upside down kingdom will say, hey, the son of man, this king, I did not come to sit on a throne and have people bring gifts to me. No, no, no. That's what worldly kings do. No, I came to seek and to save that which is lost and broken and hurting in this world. See, the message of Christmas, the message of the incarnation of this king is that there's something so fractured so broken, so selfish, so greedy, so unjust about the human condition, you and me. And it's led to all of the things that we see at a macro and a micro level in our world, all the brokenness in your family and mine and your story and mine, all the wounds that we've caused to other people and the wounds they've caused to us. We've made a mess of God's world. And the story of the incarnation is really simple but it's profound. The God of the scriptures did not sit on high 
waving his finger at us. But instead, he got the mess all over him to the point of becoming flesh and coming into this broken world, entering into the darkness. Isn't that profound? That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Uh, this is uh, my son, Titus. This is at the Texas game a few months ago. And uh, I've already showed you this picture because I like it. But uh, a few years ago, we were out at the lake, at Beaver Lake. And uh, you know when the water gets down a little bit? Uh, and it depends on if you have a dock, which hardly anybody has a dock anymore. But uh, if you, when the water gets down, some of the places of the lake, when you try to get into the water, it gets real muddy. And there's almost like a 20 or 30 like yards worth of mud that you have to wade through to get out to the water unless you have a dock. And we were at some friend's house at the lake, and uh, Titus said, he, he, for some reason, went in there with his shoes, trying to get to the water. I told him, don't wear your shoes in there. You're going to lose them. And he got about 15 yards out into the mud, trying to get to the water. And if you know, if you ever had this situation happen, like he'd lost both shoes, of course, in the water or in the mud. They've come off. He's trying to get to the water. Uh, now he can't find his shoes. As the more he kind of struggles the deeper he's sinking, and he's, he's like six or so, and the more he struggles, the deeper he's sinking, and then he begins to panic, because it feels like quicksand, and he's yelling at me, it's quicksand, which it's not, it's just mud, and so he's out there, and there's mud now, he's kind of thrashing and trying to get himself out of this mud, there's now mud all over him, it's all over his legs, it's all over his body, and he's yelling at me uh, from the mud to come out there and help him. Now, I have a choice in this moment, right? I could stand on the shore, and I could look at him and go, good luck with all that. I mean, you made the mess. Guess you got to figure a way out. But I, I know as the parent, the more he tries to work his way back towards me, the more he's going to sink. So like any loving parent, I guess, like if I choose to go out there and try to help him out of the mud, you know what's going to happen. I'm going to get that all over me, right? I mean, there's no way to get him out of that without the mud getting all over me. So I, you know, wade out into the mud, and he's screaming and freaking out. And uh, I wade out into the mud and have to pick him up out of the mud. And, of course, he's got mud all over his arms. Now there's mud all over me, and there's mud all over me. But, of course, I would go out there to rescue him. And what we see with the incarnation, what we're celebrating at Christmas is that when we were thrashing about in the mess that we've made, our God entered into that mess for us. Of course he would. But only Christianity is so bold as to bring God into the mess. Here's C.S. Lewis. In the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being and into time and space down into humanity and the mess that we've made of this world, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world up with him. It's the story that we're celebrating at Christmas. It's the story we're gonna celebrate these next four weeks. It's the hope of the world both then and now. And here's how we close. I'm not sure where you're at this morning, if you're here, and maybe for you, Christianity just always seemed like a list of rules to obey so that the angry God would let you into heaven one day, and you're kind of thankful that Jesus did something for you, but you didn't really know it was a beautiful story of God's rescue plan. If that's you this morning, maybe, maybe for the first time you're like, I, I need that hope. That's a beautiful story. 
Maybe you still got some doubts. Maybe you still got some questions. Maybe you don't have it all figured out. By the way, I still got some doubts, and I still got some questions. I don't have it all figured out. But maybe, would you just be like Mary this morning? God, I'm your servant. I need that hope. We would love to pray and process with you what that hope looks like this Advent season, what it looks like to place your trust in this king, his kingdom. Maybe you've been following this king for a long time. Maybe that's you in the room. Maybe it's been a couple of months, a couple of years, a couple of decades. And maybe you still got some doubts. Maybe you still got some fears. Maybe you don't have it all figured out. Me neither. But can we be like Mary? This Advent, this Christmas, not get caught up in all their stuff around us. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's trust and obey him. We're going to celebrate that king. We're going to celebrate that kingdom as we sing. Would you join me in prayer? Then we'll stand together. Well, Jesus, as we celebrate, as we think about, as we acknowledge, as we remember the beautiful story of the mess that we have made of this world, the brokenness of my sin and our sin, you got it all over yourself as you came into this world. And ultimately, ultimately this king has a, a date with destiny on a cross. You stepped down, and yet you came down to lift this whole world to a whole new reality. Hope has broken through the darkness. And so we celebrate that mild you laid your glory by, born that man no more would die, born to raise the sons of earth and give a second birth. With the angels, we declare the announcement that the king has come. We love you, Jesus. We celebrate you. We remember you. And now we sing to you. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together.
Christ by high is heaven adored. Christ is the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Oh uh-huh. 
just for me, uh, I just started rereading the gospel accounts of the coming of Jesus. And if you need something just to dive into the scriptures with, uh, start reading Luke and just start reading it every day. We have our Advent family devos. Uh, spend time with your family every night working through the passages that we've given and, and reciting together the goodness of our King. Let's reclaim uh, this season, what it's about, the celebration, the coming of our King. If you would love to pray with somebody, if you just got questions, if you're going, man, I need that King. Our prayer room is right through those doors. We'd love to pray with you. I'll be right here. I'd love to talk with you. Fellowship Fayetteville, we love you. Merry Christmas early. We'll see you right back here next week. Have a great week, everybody.